I'm Chris Motes, and this is Faith in Politics. On this podcast, we range from the soul to the state as we try to cultivate those virtues and explore those principles that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. My guest today is Mr. Jason Atkins. Jason is the executive director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference. He's been a a guest on our podcast in the past. Jason, welcome back to the show today. It's a pleasure, Chris. Thanks for having me on. You know, and Jason, um, last time you were on, we got into a bit of um, uh, some some legal legal matters. We talked about a big Supreme Court decision that uh, came out earlier in the summer, Bostock v. Clayton County, Georgia. And today, I'm really going to put you to work as a utility infielder. Uh, I really want uh, to show our listeners, you're really a man of many, um, many hats and abilities. Not only are you just like a highly qualified um, uh, lawyer, former litigator, you're also a teacher. Um, so we, that's really what I want to kind of a back to school episode, if you will. Uh, before we get into the topic at hand, which are a couple of courses that you teach at the St. Paul Seminary, um, for, for listeners that didn't tune in to the, the talk about Bostock, uh, go back and listen to it, first of all, but maybe just a, a little bit about who you are, Jason. Sure. Uh, it's, again, great to be with you and a pleasure. Uh, it's exciting to see the Catholic Church propel itself into new media. Uh, we've had to really, we've jumped forward leaps and bounds in the last three months, so um, that's been one of the silver linings of COVID. We can do these conversations, but um, I, as, as you said, Chris, I'm an attorney by training, um, but uh, always loved the uh, teaching. I was, a, but I originally, after college, was a teacher, and I loved the teaching and the communication piece and communicating the faith. Um, love. I considered being a Dominican before uh, getting married, and loved that teaching charism. Mm. And my oldest son's Dominic. I did end up studying at the Angelicum in Rome, so there always had a strong connection to the Dominicans. Um, and that's really shaped my spirituality, going to the University of St. Thomas, reading St. Thomas Aquinas, thinking about reason discourse, and St. Thomas Aquinas is certainly a model of that, and we hope to model that in our advocacy and our public policy work as well. The more important facts about me, though, is that I'm husband to a beautiful and lovely woman named Anna Marie, and I've got four fantastic kids, Dominic, Xavier, Mary Francis, and Josephine. They are 15, 13, 10, and 9. Awesome. Well, thanks for thanks for sharing all that, and and maybe just to like show the universality of the trick. You've got the Dominic, and I have I've got four kids myself. I've got a Francis and a Benedict. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, love love that charism. It's a really beautiful. Just the the Dominican pursuit of truth is is so excellent, which is really what you know. We're kind of you know here we are in August. People are starting to think uh, in many parts of the country about back to school. Although there's some, you know, turmoil in other parts of the country, um, I think Minnesota. You guys are start thinking about heading back. Or there was a district by district up there. District by district, sure. the governor has given public school districts the flexibility to make their own decisions uh, based on metrics rate related to cases per county. Okay. Um, distinguishing, of course, between cases in the general population and cases in long-term care facilities. But non-public schools are able to open as they please. And so uh, Catholic schools, the vast majority, if not all, will be open for in-person learning in the fall. And that's because of our very incarnational sense of the world. And uh, we can do a lot of things over Zoom. And it's great that you and I can do this. But uh, kids, you know, they want to be together. They want to be with their teachers. And there's there's an important component to that in-person piece. When I teach at the seminary this fall, 
boy, we're going to have, it's going to have to be a real crisis situation before I move that class online. I'll put it that way. We need to be together walking, talking and pursuing truth together. And that's done best done. I think in person. Yeah, I'm total. I'm totally with you. And I'm glad you kind of are going to the seminary too, because that's, that's, that's the topic at hand today. I really wanted to visit with you about these classes that, that you teach at the seminary. I think one of them coming up this semester and, and I was aware of these courses that you are teaching even before I was um, working at the South Dakota Catholic Conference, I was practicing law in rural Minnesota, and I was um, in the practice of law. I kind of found myself coming home from night, and, and I, I've always loved to read, and I found myself at night after the kids are in bed, I'm not necessarily reading things about, oh, how do I make myself a better estate planner? I'm just so taken with the thought of the church, and, and also, you know, how, how does the church relate to myself as an American? And, and we connected via email, and upon my request, you sent me the syllabi for your two classes. I don't know if you remember this, but just going through all these and, and some of the readings. So maybe um, some of the readings were really just life-giving to me to like, okay, um, my Amazon, Amazon cart was full there as I'm looking through some of these books, and it's just great. So maybe um, tell us a, a little bit about like, wh- what are the two courses that you teach and, and how do these courses come about? Yeah, I think it, we always got to start with the why and provide a little context here. And, you know, you don't go into teaching for the money, let's put it that way. And then uh, if you're an already busy state Catholic conference director, uh, you're not looking to take on more uh, duties and responsibilities. But I learned er- very early on in this role that at the end of the day, people in the pew who we need join to the voice of the bishops and our advocacy Um, You know, the bishop's uh, moral authority only goes so far these days. And if we're going to be effective in the public square, we need the voice of the laity joined to the voice of the bishops. Um, But there's a serious catechetical deficit at the level of the laity, especially with regard to the church's social teaching. We're very polarized in a partisan framework. We view things primarily, my experience is that we view things primarily through a left-right framework. Uh, We Uh, have so much focus on things going on in Washington, we forget the importance of local matters. Most people can't, in Minnesota at least, maybe in South Dakota, they're far more engaged, but they can't name both their state house member and state senator. How did we get to that point? If uh, the reality is that most people in the pew, they receive their information about the faith and and are formed uh, in the faith by their parish priest. And so I'm only going to be able to do so much with the guys who are already ordained, but I figured let's have an influence on the guys who are coming up through the pipeline. Mm -hmm. So uh, I wanted to get into the seminary and start working with priests who are interested in and engaging these questions to help them think about politics as a form of evangelization, as as a mode of evangelization. Pope Francis says that politics is one of the highest forms of charity because it serves the common good. It's a way, it's a path of missionary discipleship. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Um, how it's any, any place that needs the gospel is a place of evangelization. And certainly, as you know, Chris, the halls of our uh, capital and our government, they need the gospel, they need it leavening. And we need pastors and priests who are helping form people to be that salt and that light. So that was my, the main reason why uh, I decided to teach those courses. And one, again, focuses on politics and what it is in the mind of the church and how it can be a form of evangelization. The other one, Catholicism and U.S. politics, formerly called Catholicism, the American experiment, seeks to help uh, clergy or lay people, and I've had both in the classes, but think about the, the way in which the church has interacted with this great experiment in ordered liberty, the challenges and the opportunities 
and the sort of ambient intellectual and political culture that priests are going to be working with and ministers are going to be working with as they seek to form and evangelize people in those kind of 60,000 foot tectonic issues. So that's, that's the broad overview of the why uh, and a little bit about the what in terms of what I try to do at the seminary with those courses. Well, and I can even just provide personal witness to like the fruits of this why because past guests on this show, Faith and Politics, have included former students of yours, Father Tyler Madsen, Father Andy Thuringer. Oh, great. Yeah, who have, awesome guys. Yeah, they're both just great. And they've, they've discussed with a lot of just sort of clear articulation, but also some real internal, um, just like vigor and passion and conviction, some of these really important truths about, you know, our, our evangelization of the world, including our, our lives as citizens. So, you know, um, bravo for, for uh, doing this great work of formation uh, because it's, it's really born fruit. So, they, are some, they were some of my best students, so that's wonderful to hear. Yeah, yeah, great, great guys. And actually, um, both of them uh, are, are now back in Sioux Falls and living uh, just a few short miles from Rylux. So we're happy to, happy to have them nearby. Good. Both of them also working with young people in terms of your vision for, you know, forming for, uh, formators. Um, train the trainers. That's what we got to do. That's right. So they're in, uh, um, the high school, Catholic high school and Catholic junior high here in, in Sioux Falls. So, um, maybe just kind of going into some of the details of the, of the class. Like I said, I'm a guy that I just love to read. I'm not a, I don't have an 800 pound brain. I'm, I'm not like your college professor type, but for better or worse, whether it's Calvin and Hobbes or whether it's a little democracy in America, I just like to, I've always loved to read. So what are can you just share what are some of the what you would consider to be foundational texts that, that you're taking some of the students through? And feel free to maybe weave between the two courses if it's helpful. Sure. And, and you know, the church doc, I mean, it's always best to start with the sources. I mean, mm. the, the church documents are indispensable in terms of uh, starting with those, uh, I think uh, I'd, I'd highlight uh, the U.S. Bishop's document, Living the Gospel of Life, mm. um, uh, which was a follow-up to Pope John Paul's encyclical Evangelium Vitae, uh, an outstanding text in terms of thinking about our role and our advocacy and our witness in the American context and what it means to preach and live a consistent ethic of life, I think is incredibly important. Krista Videlis Leici on the role of the laity. Yeah. Uh, keeping in mind that it's primarily the role of bishops and clergy to form consciences, and it's the role of the laity to bring those principles into the practical application of voting in the public square. Certainly clergy can vote, but, um, you know, it's up to the laity to be the salt and light, and they have to prudentially apply those principles in the public square. So the church documents, um, you, you have to start with the documents, and it's amazing how much people overlook the catechism. The Compendium of the Social Doctrine of the Church, a mm. resource that many Catholics are not familiar with. And that's a great travesty because you see this beautiful theology of society, a theology of right relationships. Mm. Um, uh, absolutely fantastic resource. And uh, I just, like it says, a compendium of uh, and distillation of concepts on so many different things, whether it's the, the importance of participation in community life, um, the role of the family, distributive justice, um, a proper conception of the rights and duties of states and nations vis-a-vis -vis migrants and refugees. Um, and then I, I would point to uh, an emerging text that I think is incredibly important is Pope Francis's Laudato Si. 
mm-hmm. um, just released five years ago, but uh, a representation of the natural law. Yeah. And it's an encyclical on the environment, but of course, it's an encyclical about um, the created order and right. uh, all of creation and how we steward that and that right relationships are rooted in the right relationship with the creator. We yes. can't expect to have right relationships with each other or with nature. We don't have right relationship and we're not in right relationship with the creator. So those are the, some key uh, church resources that we go through. But I think on the, uh, the, the third party texts, we'll call them, uh, everything from Democracy in America by Tocqueville, which you mentioned, Tocqueville still ranks as the premier observer and most astute observer of American uh, political culture and American life, even though he wrote in 1830, uh, just as trenchant, just as valuable and insightful, uh, 200, almost 200 years later. Uh, Richard John Newhouse's American Babylon, perhaps um, the cornerstone text of both of those courses and definitely something that shaped my thinking about these questions and what it means uh, to be a citizen and a Catholic, what it means to be an American and a Catholic. Uh, Father Newhouse's writings, I knew Father Newhouse um, and uh, was one of the great blessings of my life. And and that text, I think, is very, very important. But we also read Arrestus Brownson, John Courtney Murray, uh, Dorothy Day. Um, So it's the rich, the readings are rich and varied. Oh, and you're just moving so uh, through these, you know, so quickly, and there's there's so much there. So, if for our listeners, maybe just tuning in, uh, Chris Motes, Faith and Politics here. I'm joined by Jason Atkins, the Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and we're just going through a couple of the courses that Jason teaches at the St. Paul Seminary. They're kind of foundational courses in in politics, the new evangelization, what it is to be Catholic and an American. And, and the starting point that Jason gave us um, just a few moments ago was some of the church documents. And if you've been trying to take notes at home on, on what some of these are, as I may have been if I was listening into this, uh, don't worry. I'm going to put some of these up in the show notes so you can go back. And, and a lot of these are actually just free out there on the Internet, Vatican website. Um, I do want to just offer a confirmation. The very first document I think that, that you mentioned was this um, living, living the Gospel of Life. Correct. Uh, and I just want to really hold that one out there, too. It is a follow-on to some of the church's um, pro-life articulation. But uh, I've found there's, there's sort of this very short pedagogy in there of, of how to undergo a moral analysis of a particular issue that I found, I found really uh, helpful just in my own work in, a, in sort of going through by the numbers, how do we analyze issues that have a kind of a firm, unchanging moral component, um, something intrinsic to them, it could, we could apply to that same analysis to, to other unchanging truths that are really firm, like a teaching on marriage, a teacher on sexual identity, um, et, et cetera, et cetera. So they're really foundational. Um, I, I got to ask, because you just kind of slipped this in there and then moved on, on American Babylon. Uh, Father Newhouse, tell us a little, I'm curious, how'd you... Briefly, how'd you meet Father Newhouse? And Sure. No, I was blessed in 2002 to participate in the Tertio Millennio Seminar on the Free Society, which is something that George Weigel started um, uh, with the uh, Polish Dominicans to bring Americans and Eastern European students to consider how we foster the foundations of a free society in a post-communist world. And uh, one of the, that was a fantastic blessing uh, to be a part of. I was part of, I think, 15 Americans and 15 Eastern European students for three weeks in Krakow with Father Newhouse, Michael Novak, Russ Hittinger, George Weigel, Father Maciej Jemba, 
of the Polish Dominicans and a great exchange of ideas, you know, to tour John Paul II's Krakow with George Weigel. I mean, that's a sort of peak experience for a nerd like me. And then spend time with Father Newhouse talking about Survey Pinkers, the Belgian Dominican, and mm. you know, was he an authentic Thomist? I mean, just nerding out uh, on stuff like that. So that was a blessing. And then we kept in touch um, somewhat over the years when he came to Gustavus, for example, Gustavus Adolphus College to give a lecture. I was able to visit with him and reconnect with him that way. And a lot of friendships were forged in those uh, three weeks in 2002 that uh, have persisted to this day. And that's been a great blessing for me. Oh, that's incredible. Just, uh, and the names you're kind of listening off there is just like some real titans of, of, of the intellectual life of, of Catholic thought in, uh, in the new millennia. Maybe kind of stepping back to your courses just a minute and, and some of the readings uh, that are, that are, it's just like this dynamite list. Is there any particular text on the list that is like a personal favorite that just really is exciting for you or has been influential or has really just kind of jumped to life, one of these living texts? Uh, I mentioned American Babylon. I mean, sure. again, I go back to that over and over and, and read it with a new lens and in a new context every time. And, and that was published after Father Newhouse died uh, prematurely in 2009. And that's a fantastic text. Tocqueville for me is always exciting. It's like reading scripture. I mean, just going back and seeing a new pearl of wisdom and some trenchant observation about uh, our society. And, and he has a lot of things to say about um, race relations, even in 1830 that I think mm. are prophetic today. Um, so I, I do want to mention as well that, you know, the syllabus changes a little bit with regard to de historical developments. So we're going to be yeah. reading uh, a Jesuit named John Lafarge wrote a lot about race and race relations in America and American life. He was a Jesuit, wrote in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. So we're going to be returning to his text. There isn't a lot of great resources on race and racism in American life written in a Catholic frame. Since Lafarge, uh, I think we, mm. sadly, I think a lot of people believe that we'd overcome racism and it wasn't a persistent ongoing issue. So we need to return to that text. Uh, we're going to read Immigration in the Next America uh, by Archbishop Gomez because yeah. migration is a perennial question. And uh, we did read that in the last iteration of the class, but that's even more important this time around, too. So th there's a there's a dynamism uh, to the reading list as well. But uh, certainly for me, Tocqueville. Um, Newhouse, and that we might be the only class at the St. Paul Seminary who actually reads Archbishop John Ireland, yeah. the founder of the seminary as well. He actually has a two volumes of speeches and collected works in which he talks quite extensively about politics. He was very politically active. Lincoln, Tocqueville, Arrestus Brownson, these were key figures in his own intellectual formation, and there's not a lot of, uh, haven't been a lot of consideration given to that. So he's particularly valuable as well in an American frame. Well, and he's a really just a fascinating figure too. I feel like we could do a whole podcast just on him because he's, he, you know, he's this St. Paul hometown boy, um, studies for the priesthood in, in France and the connection to South Dakota is one of his sort of childhood friends, Thomas O'Gorman. They grew up together, studied in mm -hmm. France. Thomas O'Gorman, uh, at the same time, John Ireland was Archbishop of St. Paul, Minneapolis. Thomas O'Gorman was the Bishop of Sioux Falls, um, uh, one of the dioceses in South Dakota, uh, uh, and, and commissioned this beautiful cathedral in, in Sioux Falls, same architect as, but John Ireland, I mean, he, and he's this chaplain in the Civil War, and so he's really got this American identity. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, some really, really fascinating, fascinating stuff. Um, 
And Ireland's a key figure in what, it, you know, the Americanist controversy in the late 19th century, you know, this engagement between the church and American life and how can we be effective evangelizers and be that leaven in American political culture. And there was a, a reasonable debate about what that looked like that led to some encyclicals and clarifications from Pope Leo as well. So it's very important that we consider Archbishop Ireland in, in full. So some of the, some of your students that you've had go through the, the course, you um, I think my understanding is that it's mainly seminarians, although you've had some, some lay students as well. Have, have you, what sorts of changes or transformations or can, can you describe maybe there's a certain disposition coming into the class and, and how do the students change when they go through the courses? The, the last time I taught politics, the new evangelization, uh, the majority of the lay students in there said that it was the only thing left on their the only thing available, and they thought that we were going to dictate them to them all sorts of prudential uh, policy positions on prudential questions. Sure. And they came away rethinking politics altogether as a concept and how the church views it. As that the whole the, the premise of the course is politics is one of the highest forms of charity because it serves the common good. Mm. What does that mean? It's a way we love our neighbor. It's a place of evangelization. And so thinking about politics differently. As a, as a mode of discipleship, a mode of missionary discipleship is the kind of conceptual shift that I hope that students see and get out of it. And that's what I really saw the last time is it's not just a grab bag of, you know, when the church engages in the political arena, it's not just a grab bag of random policy issues developed by staffers that the bishops go along with. It's really the church's engagement in the public arena on the questions of human dignity and what serves life and dignity and the common good and we do that because we love our neighbor and we work for their authentic good. But we also do that because we want people to know that the church has care and concern for Catholics and non-Catholics alike. And the bishop is the shepherd of all the souls in the diocese, not just Catholics. And we're a bishop to not raise his voice when there is injustice. How much of a credible witness to the gospel would he be? And that same principle goes for the rest of us. If we now do not stand for injust, against injustice and for justice, our witness as, gospel, as heralds of the gospel will be compromised. And so that's the spirit of the church. And we want to change people's plausibility structures about what it means to engage the political arena as a Christian. Well, in this transformation, um, or sort of this, this new understanding of politics, the church's understanding of politics, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would suppose that a lot of your students come into the class, whether they're, they're lay or, you know, on the path towards priesthood, they, they would be like so many Americans where they, we have a bit of cynicism towards politics and we're shaped by the talking heads on TV. And as one lady put it to me in the last election cycle, I'm just so ready for car commercials again. Um, you know, so we can get a bit like skeptical and get like this really thick skin towards politics when in fact it is this, um, we can have like a burning heart of charity as we enter into it uh, as really um, a way to, a way to love others. Um, One of the the themes that I think you draw out in one of your courses is a distinction in roles between uh, among the baptized members of the church. And we've got, we've got lay and clergy. Can you talk a little bit about that particular uh, aspect of the course? Sure, and I'll give a practical example, too, that we've had to deal with here in Minnesota. Um, In terms of roles, I mean, it's the role of the clergy to form consciences for faithful citizenship, 
Um, we know uh, canon law and, and, and uh, practice that clergy are banned from uh, political office. Uh, deacons, I think, I always get I always get confused about the deacons, but uh, the priests for sure are banned from holding political office. And uh, the, the reason they do so is because we don't want um, their witness, comp their evangelical witness compromised. They have to be a minister to all sorts of people, and we don't want them engaging in partisan politics and electioneering. We had an issue with that earlier this year here when Minnesota changed its presidential primary from a caucus to a closed primary system. And so it was our counsel to the bishops that clergy be advised that they should not vote in the closed presidential primary because their party affiliation would be exposed and potentially exposed uh, to the general public. And their vote in that closed presidential primary, which is a partisan activity, um, would compromise or could compromise their evangelical witness. And it just simply wasn't worth it. So it's a responsibility of the clergy to form consciences, to lay out those principles, and then the lay folks, the people in the pew like us, should be bringing those in prudential ways to the various uh, their communities and community life. You know, we get cynical about politics because we're focused so much about what ha on what happens in Washington when we can really make a difference at the local level. And folks ignore the local level and, and a lot of important decisions are made at the local level. So we can't abandon that arena. And we might have a renewed appreciation for the opportunities, but also the limitations of politics if we reconsider what it means to get involved ourselves and do so in a plane in which we can actually make a difference and bring some important knowledge about our community and its needs to the table. Well, and I love that you've said this a couple of times now, just the local level, and that there was a, an article on a national newspaper, uh, I think it was the Wall Street Journal a number of months back, speaking of uh, kind of smaller towns, more rural towns that are just like struggling to find people to run for city council, mm -hmm. yeah. struggling to find people to run for mayor. And so that's, that's even been my encouragement to uh, some of the younger people I've met in, in recent years who have really kind of been a bit disenfranchised with the political process. It's like, well, don't, don't let national politics be the only peg on what you're trying to hang your hat. You know, there's this sense of politics um, that we, I think, falsely get trapped into. It's sort of being the Fox News, CNN national stuff, when in fact there's a lot of lo local stuff going on. Yeah, we have this dynamic where there's this sense that there aren't enough people, quote, speaking up and speaking out. There's actually plenty of people speaking up and speaking out. There are no shortage of opinions out there from any number of quarters. What is really lacking, Chris, to your point, are people who are willing to engage institutions and participate in them to make change. And it's easy to, to be try to be John the Baptist and be the prophetic voice speaking truth to power. It's a lot harder to actually work within institutions in prudent, diplomatic, and charitable ways to make real change. And that's what we need. That's where we need baptized, the baptized faithful to step up and engage. And that's a sacrifice. That's why Pope Francis says it's one of the highest forms of charity. It's because it's a sacrifice and, and acts of charity, acts of love come often at great cost. And that means our Wednesday nights, <laughs> time, time doing from away from leisure. But if we want good laws, if we want good institutions, if we want uh, uh, you know, the school, we complain about the state of the schools. Well, who's who's running for school board? Uh, county, we don't like property taxes. Well, county commissioner, have you considered running? Have you considered attending those meetings? We're fo right. focused Trump, Trump and Biden, Trump and Biden, you know. Well, who's running for county commissioner? Um, that, that really makes a difference. Jason, thanks so much for joining me to talk about these courses and I hope to have you on the show again. A blessing, what a great opportunity to be with you. Thanks so much, Chris, and God bless your work.
And thanks for tuning in, dear listeners. As always, don't hesitate to reach out with uh, ideas, questions, concerns, uh, thoughts for the future. sdcatholicconference.org. Till next time, live well. <laughs>